Greetings, Fudidashi listeners. In this episode, we ask an admittedly clickbaity question that nevertheless raises some good points. Is Diablo 4 an RPG? We cover a bit of the history of role-playing games, the awkward transition from tabletop to video games, and how character progression maps onto, or in some cases fails, to map onto the player's evolving gameplay experience. All of that to explain why maybe we need to rethink RPG as a game genre. everyone and welcome to this month's Furidashi podcast episode. I'm your host Lauren Ash here with the incredible lovely Nicholas. The other host Nicholas. <laughs> the other host Nicholas. No, oh my goodness. You know, we are both each other's other's hosts, you know? Yeah. Is that Oh, like is that like, say that, par- like Wait, who's the parasite and who's the host? Are we each a parasite and a host. I think we're each a parasite time. and a host, right? It's oh, okay. a symbiotic <laughs> relationship, right? Like the yeah, whales yeah. and okay. the Yeah, that's Yeah. The oh, alligators yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Yep. <laughs> I like how we're just making animal metaphors. Yeah. Um, no, sorry about that, everybody. But no, I, I'm not sorry about that because you are here no. for the fun times. Um, and that is what it is to be on this podcast. So yeah. with this, uh, we are going to be talking about Diablo 4, which is yeah, but, a, yeah, but before a super we get fun in, game. Yep. But before but, we get into that, I, I kind of want to I want to make a statement. I got something to say, folks. No. Um Actually, I just wanted to let everybody know that um, once again, um, itch, itch.io has their um, queer games bundle. Um, I think you all should go out and support it uh, on this Pride Month for the obvious reasons and maybe for some non-obvious reasons, too, because uh, one of our very close friends uh, going way back actually has a couple of games in the queer games bundle. The um, It's a visual novel series called Our Wonderland. They are a fantastic creator and a fantastic human being. You should support them and support other games. Like, actually, one of my favorite games of all time is in the Queer Games Bundle. Uh, What's Your Gender, which is a really absolutely amazing take on sort of like using game mechanics as a way to sort of like put the player in particular like states of consciousness and like subject positions it's a really amazing game it's really subtle it's really well done and it's it's minimalist but it's beautiful at the same time i love it a whole bunch you get that in the bundle you get so many games in the bundle so many amazing games and the reason why i think it's especially important this year to be supporting queer creators is because well lauren and i both live in the united states um more to the point i live in one of those states where Trans people in particular are under direct attack by the government. And um, I don't think you can be sort of ho-hum about these issues anymore. Like, if you don't support queer creators, if you don't support queer people, you, you suck. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to, like, come to your house and browbeat you about it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I, I do think you suck. Uh, and if you don't want to suck, um, 
then get out there and and be supportive and do the kinds of things that um, marginalized people in our society need in order to live full and healthy lives. And so, yeah. Oh, and then we have a Patreon. Lauren, you want to tell everybody about our Patreon? I will tell everybody about our Patreon, but I just want to say that remember everybody out there who is supporting, not only supporting Pride Month as an ally, but supporting Pride Month by going out and partying. Uh, Pride (laughs) lasts all year, and it is super detrimental to feel that we only have one month to support each other and really like gain this like – Oh my goodness, what is it called? It's the thing that everybody comes to when you celebrate, but it's like, it's not affordances. It's it's actualization. It's like people recognizing that you exist as a human. I solidarity. Can't think of- it's solidarity. solidarity. Thank you. Yeah. But I just want you to know to have solidarity throughout that year and supporting, right? This itch.io bundle is going to then consistently support those creators once a month, but then supporting them for every month because it shows that their works need to be in the hands of everybody. Yep. Um, so speaking of the works in the hands of everybody, <laughs> you should support queer creators here by supporting our Patreon. That's um, a good segue. <laughs> thank you. Uh, every single month we give you not only bonus episodes and transcripts, but we're also giving you like even more, right, uh, content such as like reading things that you can read you have direct access basically to us all the time on our discord community and our higher tiers right get us just more and more love and support from you guys so if you want us if you really like us here on the podcast or this is your first time listening please go to patreon.com slash furidashi pod i believe it's just furidashi because that's that's where we're starting over so um (laughs) so yeah so thank you guys so much for your support and with that, we'll get into today's episode. Yeah. Nicholas, you have this fantastic quote here when we're looking <laughs> at Diablo 4, and I don't think I can read it as good as you. I think we need to begin with the question that sort of heads the episode. Okay, which, that's right. Is- so for so really quickly, though, so for some context, I'm playing Diablo, or I'm watching my partner play Diablo 4, and you're probably going, well, why are you talking about Diablo 4? I start asking, right? Like, hey, like, what do you like about it? What are these things, right? And the more I think about the history of Diablo, the more I'm going, hmm, the question becomes, right, is Diablo 4 an RPG? Yes. And Nicholas goes, yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Thank you all for listening. (laughs) No, but okay. So I guess we have to sort of explain the entire drama as it played out. So like Lauren messages me and she's, and she says precisely that like, is Diablo four really an RPG? And I have to admit that at the time I was extremely dismissive. I'm like, yes, Lauren, it is. What, what are you doing? But she. No. And I I went like, no, hear me out because I'm sitting here with my game developer friends. Like we're in the industry. Right. And when you're in the industry, and you're a gamer, right? So you're as a player, like sometimes it's hard to kind of put your player glasses on and think this is how a player would see it. Yeah. But you also have to realize there's this third category and that's the marketer, right? So you're like, how would you, right, pitch this game to an executive? Or how would you pitch it to, right, Square yeah. Enix Marketing? And we're looking at there, we're sitting with our game dev friends and my partner's playing this game and he's like, no, it's not an RPG. Now, marketing-wise, it's called an action RPG, but so yeah. here I am having a conversation about all of the ways Diablo is not a role-playing game. And yeah. then so I just like casually asked Nicholas a couple weeks ago, <laughs> is Diablo 4 an RPG? And I get an infamous yes. And I'm like, Nicholas, explain I was re- thyself. I was pretty, I was pretty, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty miffed that you even asked. <laughs> um, but, but the thing is, okay, so like the, the the simple response isn't just a marketing one, but it's also sort of like Diablo 4 exists within a tradition 
of games that are very much focused on character progression. And character progression is central to role-playing games. That is, in fact, the role that you play. Like, that's what it refers to. And so, like, having so much of gameplay centered on, like, how the your avatar progresses in terms of, like, you know, maybe gear or stats or abilities or, like, how whatever progression systems you develop. But all of those progression systems are centered on the player and on the character. So... To me, in that sense, it's like, yeah, well, yeah, then obviously Diablo is an RPG. But then, because I'm like, wait, okay, so Lauren is not a dumb person. She would not bring this up just to be like, just to annoy Just me. to be contrarian. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not that's a me. dumb that, person. That's my, that's my role. I'm the that dumb person. That is your role. <laughs> you are the dumb person. <laughs> so I started thinking about it and I started actually doing some research and looking into it. And I uncovered this quote that, that Lauren just allude, alluded to. Um, I'll read it, I guess. It's from David Brevik, for, who, for those of you who aren't familiar, is the creator of the original Diablo game and was also the director and sort of lead programmer on Diablo 2. So and then, Diablo... And, and also, just so that we're all... Sorry, not to interrupt you, but just so that we're all clear, though, right, is I believe David Brevik is no longer at the company, right? He's no, no as of working. Had, had no involvement in Diablo 3 and no involvement in Diablo 4 either. So that's actually worth noting because we actually are going to make a fair... We're going to put a pretty bright line between Diablo 1 and Diablo 2 and sort of like this other category of Diablo 3 and Diablo 4. But when Diablo was being incepted and he was interviewed about sort of like his... Uh, inspirations and like why he decided to create the game that he did, he said this quote, one of the things that we were trying to get with Diablo was ease of gaming. The NHL series, and he's referring to sort of the NHL video game series, was really good at this, where you just click and you're in the game. Before Diablo, when you created a character, you had to answer 53 questions about this, that, and the other. You had to name it, give it a backstory, and so on. We just wanted to get in and start smashing things. Now, it's interesting that the things that he specifically singles out as annoyances to be avoided are things traditionally associated with RPGs. Like, I mean, if you think even about going all the way back to pen and paper, what is one of the very first things you do? You sit down with a character sheet, you come up with a name, a race, a class, a backstory, their feats, their stats. Those are the 53 questions. Right. And what's interesting, though, to me is that if we look at character creation in role-playing games, I would say that it's incredibly different than, say, character creation in Bloodborne, for example. I don't know if I would consider Bloodborne an RPG, though it has RPG elements, because while it has a highly visual right character creator, you can pretty much do anything you want with it, which is why I think... Um, the monster character creators on YouTube like create these really like ugly or terrifying right sliders yeah. is because like the visual fidelity of fidelity in, in scare quotes here, but the visual right range of your characters can be so large. Yeah. But then think about of a game that is very traditionally ingrained in these character creation processes, which is Dragon Age. And in Dragon Age, you have less visual sliders, but you have to choose a very specific right race, right? So Dalish, Elf, uh, yeah. Human, etc. And depending on the cross collaboration, are you a Dalish Mage? Are you a Human Mage? Actually, has really interesting notes of intersectionality of identity that then is reflected to you by characters. So what class you choose is actually right a determinant of how society reacts to you what exactly, race yeah. you choose i think that's really important because in bloodborne it doesn't really matter 
what your character looks like or who your identity is because society will treat you the same regardless. But in, yeah. right, say, in a more traditional kind of Dungeons & Dragons style, it yeah. does matter because now NPCs will treat you differently. And I think that for me is also why I immediately went to Diablo 4 is no, not an RPG. So I wanted to probably to to identify that because that's not character progression though we will be yeah. talking about that. well no and that's actually a really good point because the reason one of the reasons why it's not is that if you look at from software games across the board so not just like bloodborne and the souls games but also if you look at the armored core games like armored core and like and dark souls actually have similar like design structures to them in oh, that i like, love it when you do this when because you create yes. a character in bloodborne you are essentially doing the same thing that you do when you build a mech in armored core and so then both of those games are very encounter centric and the more encounter centric a game is at least traditionally it tends to be that the less character centric they are and i think that's one of the reasons why character creation or mech creation in those games like mech creation strangely matters more in armored core than character creation matters in like souls games right and it's because like the mech is actually somewhat of your identity and i think that's what's like a really great focal well, and point. because it affects the counters it actually yeah, affects it affects the counters. no and like the same is true right for diablo 4 so i think what's yeah. really interesting here is that this quote by brevik right was inspired by those sports games right NHL, yeah. which for those of you who are listening, maybe um, abroad or internationally, NHL stands for the National Hockey League. Yep. Uh, just FYI, because I realized that we didn't actually do oh, that. Yeah, it's a hockey game. It's a hockey. It's game. a hockey game, and so outside of the United States and maybe Canada, right? Like you're not going to. It's something you don't know what hockey is. It's just NHL is. It's not yeah, like ho- NFL or. Do hockey you know what is I mean? a very hockey is a very North American thing. So yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind of wanted to talk more about those types of references they had because, like, interestingly, this character, this notion of identity, right, of who you think you are, right, is yeah. what actually made us split with like what the hell is an RPG anyway? Yeah. And so like that kind of that is sort of like what pushed up. It was certainly is what I mean, Lauren was already kind of moving in the no direction, but that was definitely what started to push me into the no direction because I was like, wait a minute, like the way in which like the character interacts with gameplay in the particular world of Diablo is very different from the way to use Lauren's example again, like the character you create in Dragon Age interacts with that world. Like when you make those choices about your character in Dragon Age, like they have very serious ramifications for how the game will play. Whereas, but the thing is like, you can say something now to sort of to bring it a little bit back towards the yes column um, uh, to make a better yes argument, if you will, is that then if it's about character progression, it doesn't necessarily have to be about character progression in the classic way in which we tend to think of RPGs. Like in many ways, what you get in Diablo games and especially in Diablo four is you get a kind, I mean, cause you have, you still have a lot of those like classic RPG elements. You still have sort of like inventory management, you know, gear improvement, you know, ability improvement. You have, you know, a skill tree, like all that stuff is very classic RPG. But the thing is, at the same time, it's sort of all that stuff is directed towards combat encounters and like and improving your your character's relationship to combat counters rather than maybe to a story or to sort of like, you know, a social structure that the, the world of the game is trying to create. Right. And here, Nicholas, is where we talk about, well, so if we don't know, like, let's say that it is an RPG. It's yeah. yes, Diablo 4 is an action role playing game. 
Yeah. Right? Because you are playing a role, which is the barbarian, the druid, the yeah, sorcerer, the necromancer. Yeah. It's the role that you play. And I yeah. mean, what's interesting here is that when we were looking at other action RPGs, the other game that my partner is not only obsessed with, but is almost a compulsion, as in before work, like I always see him playing this game. And no, it's not <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom, which just came out. It's Path of Exile, another yeah. ARPG, which to me is is hilarious because I would never see Path of Exile as a role-playing game. But if we're going to say Path of Exile and Diablo for our role-playing games, you have, right, the character's stats, the character's progression through these skill trees. You have the ability to create different builds. Who you play as a barbarian this time might yeah. be different as the barbarian next time, yeah. right? And through that focused lens, while there's no emotional or social ramifications of your actions, this is actually a very valid, safe entry point, right? Where, like, yeah. the characters of the world aren't going to say, like, you Dalish mage, you're the most dangerous thing to society. They'll just be like, you make spells and help our community. Thanks so much, you random in civilian thing, right? Like, that sounded really terrible. Um, and I'm not trying to, unfortunately, um, I love both character progression and, like, in terms of emotional narrative storytelling, I am in narrative yeah. design, as well as skill progression, like I was a skills designer. So yeah. unfortunately, my uh, examples <laughs> always will come off as inherently biased. Um, so for a non-biased person uh, yeah. about anything at all, we should talk about RPGs that go all the way back to tabletop. <laughs> yeah, because like, the, well, because this is the argument that I made to you when we were discussing these things is that like, okay, so if you go back and look at the inception of like tabletop role playing games, ba roughly in like sort of like, you know, the late, well, I mean, when role playing games begin is itself a, a thorny question. But if you go back to sort of like that transition, like when Chainmail first appeared, Chainmail, which was the precursor to D&D, like this idea that sort of you you take these like tabletop war games and then we're going to convert that into something that has like a more narrative. And the thing is like, it's worth noting that in sort of that original inception, like narrative was a central concern, but the way in which that sort of manifested in terms of gameplay was character centric because it was, because when, you know, first of all, it should be noted that like role-playing games play very differently for the GM than they do for player characters. So I'm going to talk about this primarily from the perspective of player characters. So like, if you're a new player and you're joining a group, one of the very first things you have to do is either be handed a pre-generated or create a character of your own. And sort of like, but it's not just about sort of like creating the character. It's also about how you inhabit that character, how you create a personality for them, like how you come up with their visual aesthetics, how you describe them, how they behave in particular situations. Because, you know, in role-playing games, not every encounter is a combat encounter. Sometimes it's more like dialogue focused or you have to try and convince someone to do something or you have to sneak around. Like there are other things that you can do. Right. And so, oh, and so and like, all I, yeah, sorry. Well, no, I, I was gonna. Add, oh my about? god, we we do this every time we yeah, both we are like saying the same thing, go but ahead, then we want to say it different ways. Ahead, are you ahead. sure? Yes. Okay, so I hope that this is not the same thing Nicholas is going to say, but like I have a very good feeling that it is. Is that what's interesting to me is that when we look at uh, tabletop role playing games, we clearly actually see this kind of divide between what I would consider action RPG 
and more, say, traditional RPG with Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons is that Dungeons yeah. and Dragons very much has that, you know, the way your personality matters, how you want to interact with people. And honestly, like in Critical Role is a great example of that personality driven gameplay yeah. where like the story and your actions that you take and Dungeon World is an even further step along this line that it doesn't really matter like what actions you take as long as you're being as heroic as possible. Yeah. But in Pathfinder, I actually see this more synonymous with the character sheet like you're talking about, Nicholas, where in Pathfinder, my central storytelling moment that I remember vividly was when I somehow triggered fear in an enemy that was kicking our asses, but my crossbow bolt did one extra point of damage, which made them flee. <laughs> like, because the encounter, right, told them to flee when they took an amount of damage, like, some amount, amount of, damage. of damage yeah and that's very like arpg it's very mechanics driven it's very yeah. systems driven you don't really care what your personality is like that doesn't actually affect the plot it doesn't affect your character yeah. so much as like that's all actually theater that's really theater of the mind that's really in your head so yeah. when i look at things like talent trees and the, the inventory system where you're kind of an assemblage of these like weapons or gear items right um or like it doesn't really matter who you play, that's kind of where I see, yes, if this is what an RPG is, then Diablo 4 is absolutely, right, a role-playing game because yeah. you've given this role, the role has a specific amount of weapons and abilities given to them, and you actually determine and choose different skills which determine then how, right, you affect the world because the main way you affect the world is through action combat. Yeah, but we have we do have one more plank to this argument though, because one of the problems that you run into is if you go too far down the like explanation for mechanics and like systems, is then basically every adventure game turns into an RPG. Like, oh yeah, every like, game. all of them become it. So like then what is it what is distinct about RPGs then? And so the other thing that we identified from like the sort of the lineage, if you will, of, of like so how uh, RPGs developed over time is this idea of sort of like the the bond, for lack of a better term, that is created between the player and the character that they create, and a kind of sense of ownership. In the past, we have described this transformation as subjective progression, because the idea is that sort of like the, the subjectivity of the player is changing over time. Their feelings about their character changes over time. They become more or less attached, or, they, or sort of like things evolve, and that that is a kind of progression. It's not and it and it, you can't find it anywhere in like the mechanics or in like skills or in systems like you can't find it in any of those things you only find it in the way in which sort of like the player through like constantly using this character and living with this character they themselves develop over time and so it makes sense to think about character progression as something that is sort of like the center of role play because what is role play? It is a human being taking on a particular persona. And so the persona is represented by, you know, the character or the character sheet or however you want to define it. But then you need that other half. You need the human being. And so like how the human being factors into that is important. And this is actually what helps you distinguish it from say something like, I don't know, playing Tomb Raider because that character is is not something of your own creation it's, it's something that is very like i guess you could say aesthetically and psychologically separate from you or yes. like there's a greater degree of separation right and i think this is where we get into this really fascinating argument for me where a character that i've created is very inherently tied to the character creation system of tabletop wargaming right yeah. and 
recognizing that the character does not exist without me. And this is right. That subjective progression bond that we talk about. Yeah. And particularly, I know we're talking about Diablo four and this is adjacent to the permadeath mechanic that you can say hardcore mode of Diablo four is to check if your character dies ever, they yeah. will die forever. And that's straight from path of exile. Um, my, I have never seen my partner stressed. They're incredibly chill, super able to handle things <laughs> until they were playing that path of exile campaign where they had to get a character to level 90 without ever dying on the permadeath mechanic. And yeah. like, that's what caused them to not sleep. Well, they were yeah. like, I'm going to die. I am going to die. And I think, yeah. and, and they're not dying. It's their character in Path of Exile. It's the character in Diablo 4. But that yeah. same level of character progression bond from a user experience standpoint and from the player experience standpoint is I personally know that since the character cannot exist without me, I feel good when a character overtakes like a horde of enemies or when I am, you know, say in my role, right, I'm performing really well as a healer right? In yeah. World of Warcraft or a healer in Final Fantasy fourteen, And it's like, look at me completing my job function. I exist to serve this like multiplayer community. I exist to assist like the NPCs of this world. Yeah, And it's really, it's really that bond, right? There is an emotional bond there versus say in a game where the characters have already been created or generated for you like Tomb Raider or like Uncharted, right? Where you don't have any ownership of them. If I put the game away, right? Nathan Drake is still going to probably go steal some shit because in my head, like he exists as a separate fictional character, right? Yeah. And Laura is going to try to fight Trinity and like somehow still save some artifacts for the British <laughs> government, you know, and, and it's going to be fine. It's going to be yeah. fine. You <laughs> know, it's going to be fine. In <laughs> uh, either case, right? An American or a British person is going to these native areas and taking their shit. So yeah. don't do that, children. Um, but like it's it is right. There isn't the same level of bond. And I think that's incredibly important for when we look at a role playing game is that it's not always all about like the story is about your personal journey. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like that to me is really sort of the only convincing anchor, because especially if you look at things that like no one would challenge their RPGness. If you look at, say, like the Final Fantasy series, like Final F compare Final Fantasy one to Final Fantasy 16. What is it, what do those two games have in common? <laughs> like, like they are not really similar, like mechanically in any way, shape, or form. And yet, not only are they both considered RPGs, they are considered RPGs within the same franchise and within the same series and within the same universe, right? Yeah, and exactly. I think that's we'll come back. We'll have to do another episode on Final Fantasy sixteen um, in the future, maybe next month if we continue this thread because I still have yet to play the demo. Um, Diablo 4 came out two weeks ago. Tears of the Kingdom was before that. And Final Fantasy 16 will be launching on June 20th. There's a lot of huge games out right now. So That is a lot of huge yeah. games out right now. Yeah. And what I would say is that a lot of people have looked at Final Fantasy 16 and feel like it's a huge departure from Final the Final Fantasy say series in general. And yet it's almost like an evolution of itself from you once see, you've played it. it so like in marketing, it feels differently and then it, it doesn't to the players. So but anyway, there but there have been these like subtle changes over time. There have been these that, subtle changes over yeah, time. And, yeah. and if we, that's why I say, we're going to go this into this later, because if we go into the yeah. final fantasy argument now, we could, <laughs> it's too huge. And right now we're not talking about that. We're talking about Diablo four. And so it is interesting to think of that. Even though I think Final Fantasy itself, right, from Final Fantasy 14 being an MMO to Final Fantasy 15 being this like 
boy band buddy group companion game is yeah. still an RPG because of that level of character, like subjective progression, right? And character ownership. Yeah. And then Final Fantasy 16, right, just continues that. And it has gone unchallenged. But when we look at Diablo 4, we're going, wait a second, Diablo, there's just something different about you. Yeah, because at the same time that there's that sense of like, I mean, because players do, as you, as you would describe, players do feel like a sense of ownership of the characters that they that they play as in Diablo. But at the same time, like our own historical argument for like why Diablo 4 is an RPG also unfortunately provides a reason why it isn't. Yes. <laughs> a very so, good reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's look at the better no argument. Yeah. Why is Diablo 4 not an RPG? And before we super dig into it, I want to actually talk about it from that games industry standpoint. Yeah. Right. As an industry developer, right, and particularly in these large AAA multi-million player bases, right, I look at things as turn as determinant, right, by the people that are creating them. And I know that seems really dumb and obvious, right? But at the same time, when I started in video games, I wasn't going, oh yes, I know all the developers of Blizzard, and that's why I've chosen to play World of Warcraft. Like <laughs> no, yeah. no one goes, I know these developers, I'm gonna play their game. But well, I do that like, sometimes. I, no, I no, you do. But it's yeah. because now I think you've been so adjacent through our friendship to games yeah. that you're like, Lauren, do you know this creator? Do yeah. you want like, and I'm like, I love that creator. You should play their games. Yeah. You see, but you have to, that now is becoming, right? You're into the community of game development, right? If we look at my, uh, you know, fan theory franchise model. Anyway, let's move <laughs> on. Um, so that historical evolution, right, is we have to look at who is creating these games. And that's why when we did the research and we go to David Brovic on Diablo, he did not want to make an RPG. He explicitly no. wanted to make something where instead of having to have that, you know, very expansive, emotional, I am this character, this character is me moment, it was, I want to pick up an axe. I want to use Axe. I want to beat shit out of things that will get, get cut in half by Axe. You know, like yeah. I must be barbarian, right? And that's the hugest snag in the argument is when you look at it from the industry perspective, you realize, well, Diablo was never meant to be an RPG. So why do we call it that? Yeah, and because the thing is like in that instance, when you choose barbarian in Diablo 1 or Diablo 2, you're not choosing a role that you want to inhabit and that you want to flesh out. You are choosing an assemblage of characteristics. Yep. And whereas if you choose Necromancer, you are choosing a different assemblage of characteristics. And that through line is still kind of there in all of the Diablo games, even though Brevik didn't really have much creative involvement. And part of the reason for that is that, like, you know, if you're going to make a Diablo 3 after, like, the huge, like, runaway success that Diablo 2 was, like, it's got to resemble Diablo 2 in some important ways. And one of the most important is sort of like the the procedurally generated nature of much of the content of the things that you actually do in game. Like Diablo one was almost entirely aside from the the town that sort of sits above the the, the levels that you go down to descend into hell was almost entirely procedurally generated. Like so there isn't really much continuity. Like you're playing a kind of roguelike dungeon crawler at that point. And in many ways, that's kind of what Brevik wanted to make. And Diablo 2, while it adds a little bit of a kind of narrative gloss onto that, it's really sort of a refinement of that basic principle because replayability was sort of like a central concern there. And the way they approached replayability was through random generation. 
But as time has progressed, and this is especially true from Diablo 3 onward, the games became more narrative-centric, and they became much more focused on... Strangely, it's like classic RPG elements kind of got built back into the Diablo games over time. But as a result, what that means is sort of that core gameplay has this kind of non-RPG feel to it. And I mean, if you do you want me to talk about this or sort of like the, the way in which like RPGs like classically? Well, I think that, I mean, you can absolutely, but I think before we get into that, I think what's yeah. really interesting is that once again, you can't look at the development games as a vacuum, right? Yeah. I think it's safe to say that when Brevik was one of the like original creators of Diablo, right? There were still a bunch of people around him that supported that idea and gave him right the collaborative feedback yeah. to create Diablo like the franchise. Yeah. Now when we look at or like in the single in the single game now, when we look at the industry, right, and how many people not only come on to say Diablo 4, but how many people left Diablo 4, right? And then how many yeah. new hires they had to onboard into Diablo 4. Yeah, yeah. This requires not only a central vision, but also everyone's going to come in with their other identities, other mechanics, other systems that they like and they appreciate that they wish Diablo as a franchise would do. Which means that what is the current climate mm. of games that are incredibly successful? What yeah. is the current climate of games that, to be honest, in AAA, widen your market as much as possible yeah. that can appeal to the most amount of player types without sacrificing your game's core identity? And so what this means is when you're working on these super large titles of Diablo 4, right, we kind of can look at why the core gameplay may not have right changed, but they're introducing more of these right fundamentally RPG-style-like mechanics yeah. in a in a way that I would say is more akin to the reasoning why RPGs sometimes seem to be more solo or more single player than they are cooperatively. Yeah. Um, right. Well, and and the, yeah. And so that's and one of the, go ahead. You're, no, you're that wondering. is literally it. I was going to say one sentence and I actually tried to stop myself. So please All stop. Right. So one of the things that, you know, going back to sort of the historical argument is that if you think about classic um, RPGs, there's a, there's a point to be made here about the extent to which, you can even make a video game RPG. And one of the reasons for this is because if you look going all the way back to sort of like the, you know, the classic like computer role playing games, they're very single player focused. Whereas like the point of role play, like, okay, let, let's, let's like take the, the concept of role play out of games for a second. When you're doing role play, just like as part of say like a workshop or I don't know, in the bedroom or whatever, like, you have to do it with other people. <laughs> like, like the whole point is that it is a social phenomenon. So there's this weird contradiction that you have to deal with, which is then like, what is, what is the role play context in an entirely single player campaign, which is what like those classic, like video game RPGs were. It was only much later that you got this sort of social element that was sort of like bolted back on after the fact. And Lauren and I have talked about this before. So this isn't like a new thing that we're bringing up. But like, so then like, not just Diablo, but any video game RPG has to deal with this problem. And I think in many ways, like there is multiplayer in like modern Diablo and Diablo four. In fact, one of the things that they were trying to um, focus on in terms of development was creating a game that wasn't just for PC that could be used on a wider variety of systems, a game in which you could do couch co-op 
And so with all of that in mind, it's sort of like the 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 social aspects of role play got sort of reintroduced, but not in that classic form, not in that form of like, I'm sort of like, there's there's no call and response with other players. There's no sense of like, you know, yes anding. There's no like improv and not just improv in terms of sort of like the more quote unquote RP aspects or sort of the more like theater of the mind aspects of role playing games, but also in terms of combat encounters, because, you know, you see what other players are doing in terms of like how they're engaging a dragon, like, oh, wait, like they used a spell that causes this particular vulnerability on the dragon. Now I should actually react to that. I should yes and their combat tactics through my own. Like that is a role play like feature as well. And so like when we get to then to video games where there's so much focus on like Twitch mechanics in particular, you end up in this realm where like that sort of more deliberative contemplative, like you're, you're both like playing the game, but you're also observing what other people are doing. And so you have to like, think about what action you're going to take. Like that is central to role play as well. And the thing is like Diablo really doesn't have that. It, it just, it can't in many ways. Yeah. And like, just so that like for anyone out there is going like, yeah, but Nicholas keeps talking about the way that you react to players playing is a role play. The way you react to the enemy types is a role play. And I think what's interesting is that, yes, the answer is yes. But what it comes down to is how much of that do you actually need to do? Yeah. In a traditional, say, role playing game, Um, and I'm going to go both single player and multiplayer here, is that if it's tabletop or if you are playing kind of a cooperative turn-based game, like say Divinity, right? Uh, Original Sin 2, the gameplay there is very deliberate. You have to plan and set up each attack, ideally, even if say you don't have that character bond or right in Divinity, you can choose right to play a character they've already generated completely for you, which is also why we want to talk about Diablo as this is the no argument. Because comparing Diablo 4, right, where to Divinity Original Sin 2. You get to see that in Diablo 4, it doesn't really matter what class you choose depending on your other heroes, like I would say, or your other characters. If you're all necromancers, like you're kind of overstacked in once, but it's kind of like the, haha, we're playing four wizards, this is hilarious. It's not the yeah. best, say, party composition, maybe for that encounter mechanically, but I mean, it doesn't, you could still like play that way. If you had four builds, I think, in a more tactical game like Divinity Original Sent 2, where you're all doing physical damage yeah. or you're all doing magic damage, in Divinity, the system right works against you in saying, hey, this person has magic armor and you guys, no one does magic damage, but you have to get through their magic armor in order to just defend, like defeat them at all. Yeah. Okay, guys, we're screwed. And then you have to create a plan socially to now combat that. Yeah. Even if you've the characters have already been chosen for a divinity. But in Diablo, the mechanics and systems don't necessitate that type of deliberation, right? Yeah, With your other exactly. party members. And that's really where we see this as the no argument that while both have roles, the difference between the deliberate nature of role play and the deliberation that you are required in these social cooperative games, particularly in multiplayer is not the same in Diablo 4 or in Path of Exile, where it is incredibly reactive. Yeah. Well, and I I actually have a pretty good example of this in Diablo 4 that I think can illustrate this, which is the world bosses. Like the world bosses, I mean, you essentially like, you fight them based upon whoever happens to be around at the time. And so in that sense, like, and as a result, 
the the way in which they're designed is not dependent upon you because you know okay think about a boss in wow even a world boss like parties and raids generally have to have pretty specific structures like you need to have people in defined roles like tank you know healer damage and so forth and they have to perform particular functions and you have to think as lauren just said very deliberately and very carefully about like how you're going to compose that unit in order to fight a, a boss and this is the same in other mmos as well it's the same in final fantasy 14 whereas with a world boss in diablo it's more like if, if there are five sorcerers in the area then five sorcerers are going to fight the world boss and probably defeat them if like the players are you know even remotely skilled in any way shape or form but then like it then none of that matters like it could have been five barbarians it could have been five necromancers it could have been five rogues it could have been five druids it could have been two druids three like it doesn't matter and the mere fact that it doesn't matter and that the encounter and the way in which sort of like it articulates with the characters who happen to be present it is far more dependent upon the players ability to execute those twitch mechanics than it is upon sort of like constructing the entire situation because if we're trying to think about how like the social situation translated from tabletop rpgs to to video games it was primarily through that sort of like turn-based combat where like you had to sort of construct an entire system of how you were going to approach an encounter whereas with diablo it's like how good mash buttons in the right order like that's I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 that's a bit too flippant because I actually do like the, the Diablo games and I don't want to be flippant about it. But that is the emphasis. It's not on these other aspects. So even things that might seem similar, like, oh, but like, you know, MMOs have world bosses and Diablo has world bosses, but they actually function totally differently in those two game contexts. But Nicholas, so we keep talking about how an RPG is its mechanics and its systems and its core game loop. But like yeah. what people play role-playing games isn't it all about the story? No. Where, wherefore art is the narrative? <laughs> why why go to story is go away. <laughs> that no that is a good that is that is a good point because especially that's especially in the transition okay, not even in the transition. If you go back to sort of like tabletop role playing, like campaigns tended not tended they almost always had a narrative focus like you know the beginning and middle and end like this happens and then this happens and then this happens like that is the way in which campaigns like the long term of gameplay is structured and that did get translated directly into video game rpgs and so that is kind of a core mainstay yeah. but the thing is like what's weird and that so the, the counter argument to this is that like if you look at the ongoing evolution of tabletop role-playing games they have actually in many ways evolved away from this both your example earlier of path of exile not path of exile sorry pathfinder they're both path games pathfinder and it's sort of more encounter centric design but even DD, at least in the context of adventurers league has become more encounter centric in that limited context and so the thing is like even sort of classic role-playing games of like the good old fashioned, like that your grandpappy used to play, even they are evolving towards a model of gameplay that is actually less narrative centric and more encounter centric. 
Right. And this is now defining narrative as if it's a core campaign, right? And you're going, but Lauren, you said you played Diablo 4. Don't you know that there's like the five worlds and then there's like the five acts of your campaign? And there's these cutscenes that you can trigger and they're like really beautiful. There's this whole story. And I'm like, okay, everyone, two things. Yes. However, right? I think what's really fascinating is that when you look at the evolution of role-playing games into a single-player experience, like we kind of highlighted a little bit earlier in this episode, yeah. is that is that emotional connection from portraying or role-playing or casting yourself in like as a existing unit of, say, society. Yeah. And then having that reflected back to you on something that we haven't talked about or we haven't talked about in a while, I should say, is companions. Yeah. So the Dragon Age... Uh, Knights of the Old Republic, your responses or the way you acted upon the world was reflected as a good or bad based on the companions that were around you. And that was honestly as a foil to the fact that your actions say is the rogue in a D&D party and you're going to steal everything. Your players like the paladin would go, could you just stop stealing everything? Right? Like there is this (laughs) natural multiplayer aesthetic. Right. Yeah. And you see this playing out in Divinity as well, because you can do stealing and thieving, right? Versus you can play a good character who would not be opposed to that. Yeah. Also, or who would be opposed to that, excuse me. And so, like, there's that central social narrative you see in the single player games through NPCs. I'm bringing that up because in Diablo 4, yes, there's a core campaign. And yes, there's a story. And there's beautiful cutscenes. Like, it definitely looks like they're like, we want to have game narrative of the year award. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Lilith did nothing wrong. Lilith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. <laughs> I love that. But what I'm saying is what's interesting is, yes, Diablo has gotten more story-centric, I think, because it does have such rich, interesting lore and interesting narratives to tell within those. But I think for me, where it really falls apart from like to me, is that while the central nature of character progression exists for these role-playing games, it doesn't exist in the same way that role-playing in its history and its lineage through IRC chats, through MUDs, through actually just talking to people, like that's where the word role-play comes from, is through talking to people. Um, And then in the real world, you also know is like comedy has improv, right? It's about reacting to others that human element or reacting to the systems elements, right, of these role-playing and central role-playing games is that Diablo 4 doesn't really allow me to do that. Who I choose in the world, right, no matter which character, the story never changes. There's no reaction. There's no reactivity. And that reactivity, right, to the society or this world that I've been placed in, I think is the crux for me that made me go, no, Diablo 4 is not a role-playing game. Because it's not so much about the story or the lore. It's about the way the world reacts to my presence in that world Yeah. if it becomes right a role-playing game for me. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because like, despite the fact that D4 has really, really rich story and really sort of deep lore now, like after the fact, and in many ways, like three and four both kind of retconned one and two to kind of make them seem like they had more lore. They than did they do. Did. Yeah. But I, I kind of like that though, because to be fair, like <laughs> all game franchises do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but the thing is, like, if you think about, again, looking at sort of like how you interact with the narrative from a gameplay perspective, because a lot of players, especially those who are like hard, like hardcore Diablo 2 fans, I've noticed that a lot of like streamers in particular, like, we're just skipping 
all like narrative content in Diablo four, just like skipping right through it. Like cutscene, whatever. Oh, my partner did the skip. exact same thing. He's like, Percent- Oh, I finished the campaign in 10 years, in 10 years, in 10, uh, <laughs> 10 hours. Yeah. And the d- campaign for Diablo four, by the way, I think is 23 hours or 25 hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and he did it in 10, like yeah, in a night. He- yeah, because they're just skipping. Because the thing is, for people who have that kind of like history with Diablo as a series, for them, what the game is is what is is actually Brevik's ideal. Is is what goes all the way back to this idea that it, it is a particular style of gameplay. And so then the thing is, in that sense, then the cutscenes and like the the voiceover dialogue and all that stuff is getting in the way of what like your lizard brain is telling you a Diablo game is supposed to be. And the thing is the game allows you to do that. A game like Dragon Age doesn't allow you to do that. You you kind of can't not interact with the narrative. Exactly. And yeah. the reason why Dragon Age, but also the Bioware games in general, have included dialogue choice as such a central focus is because they knew that if it was just they gave you a preset character to go through, you would skip the scenes and interacting and engaging with the societal problems of the Dragon Age universe would no longer be important to you. And so even if it was, say, they tried to do a multiplayer version of Dragon Age, it would be incredibly difficult to argue with the two sides of what multiplayer gameplay is and the new climate of what is a role-playing game at all, right, in our industry standards now. Like, that's why dialogue choice is important in a game where role-play is, say, like a tenant of that franchise versus... Yeah, skip the cutscenes in a multiplayer game for for all I care. Like it's not about that, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. she says as a narrative designer, I always this is why though I always want a skip cutscene button for yeah. games that want to appeal to a variety variety of people because yeah. I know that there are some people out there that like my partner is doing the he did his 10-hour playthrough, he's played hundreds of hours of Diablo 4 already, right? Yeah. The issue is that now he's replaying it with me and he's like, "Yeah, now that I'm playing it with you, I'll watch the cutscenes." Because he actually really loves story and he really loves narrative. The issue is that with his friend group, his history of playing Diablo since the first one, right, is all, no, I'm going to play with my friends and my friends are already there because they have no life and I can't watch these cutscenes. Well, not only that, but like you mentioned the the sort of the classic act structure of Diablo games, which by the way was introduced in two. So one doesn't have that act structure. But the thing is like the act structure itself was more like they weren't even really acts in the sense of a play or like a play script or a narrative they were more in the sense of like these are the zones like they just called different zones different yep. acts but but when it did have a narrative focus from three on what was weird is that they still then had that diablo 2 aspect where it's like you play through the story but then to continue the progression of your character you play through the story again but harder and then you play through it again but harder at which point and you like, do the same thing in four as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, so, and so that's still there. And, and so I, I think it'll be really fascinating once I actually get to world tier two, cause I'm still on world tier one Yeah. and I want to actually play. I've actually, it's very hard for me, but now I have all my friends are playing it. So this has become a lot easier to play Diablo four for this reason Yeah. is that once I actually, I think complete the story of Diablo four, which I just have not yet. Then I'll be able which now Final Fantasy 16 coming out. I promise I will play Diablo 4, listeners, like all the way through, okay? Before I start Final Fantasy 16, I must. 
Um, you got like a is, week, so you better get on it. <laughs> you know, I've got a week. Um, I think that we'll be, I'll be able to kind of actually do a more deep dive analysis of Diablo 4's narrative act structure plus the story structure, because I think it will be very discongruous because right now it is. And I just want to yeah. know, does it feel that way when I play it the second time? If that makes any sense. Like right now I'm already feeling discongruity, but I don't know yeah. yet. And that's my outstanding question, right? Ending kind of on this Diablo 4's story and lore history for me, if that's really important of that mirroring aspect of your place in society versus this, yeah. Nicholas is rightfully pointing out that Diablo 4, particularly 3 onward, tried to be more of that social, easy to pick up and counter-based game. Very yeah. short. You play it for the 20, 30 minutes or a couple hours and you get out, right? Yeah. That's just like a sports game. I mean, well, that's yeah. just like how sports are. Sports yeah yeah game. the game ends there's a clock <laughs> the, there's a clock <laughs> the game ends right yeah. is they built that into diablo right they built this into the the game franchise so how how can you do a story when there is a clock like that i mean yeah it's called movies lauren but like <laughs> but um well but still, it right it isn't it isn't because like there are ways in which you can tell fragmentary narratives but then it, that has to be focused on the vignette rather than on sort of like a long narrative plot line. But that's not what Diablo is doing. Diablo is not presenting to you these narrative vignettes that you can kind of consume in, you know, between an hour, between a half hour and an hour. Like that, that's just not how it's structured. And it's a totally different narrative structure as well. Yeah. If we were going to do vignette, say encounter-based design, which actually Nicholas, you brought up with the whole Dungeons and Dragons is moving to that model. Yeah. And it's because people have less time now in gaming. They don't have 10 hours to play for a Saturday, right? They have one hour, two hours, 30 minutes even, right? Battle Royale was huge for that. So kind yeah. of like, yeah, like we're kind of seeing this general, I guess, industry shift moving. Um, but before we super conclude on this whole, you know, and, and the industry is changing and the world is fantastic and games are expanding. Um, let's end on kind of like, what is the real answer to the question? Is Diablo for an RPG? Well, I think we can. Well, I mean, you could. You could look at it two ways. You could call it a hybrid if you want. I mean, because one one way to resolve this problem that we've just presented, which is that like there are good yes arguments and there are good no arguments. And it's like, well, okay, it could be a hybrid. It could like involve elements of A, but then also have a lot of elements of B. And they could exist in, to such quantities that like you can't really put it in one category or another. So instead of thinking of like action RPG as sort of like action is a modifier of RPG, it's more like it is an action game slash RPG game. So like that's one way of thinking about it. Or if you want to sort of think about it more like ooh, hoity-toity philosophical terms, you can think of it like in a kind of dialogic or a dialectical way where like you you have this game that seems to embody a particular contradiction like but the thing is the problem is the contradiction and like the sort of the thought processes that go into saying like oh well an rpg has to be this an action game has to be this whereas you could actually look at a game like diablo 4 as directly challenging those preconceptions and providing possibly a way forward to sort of think about the further evolution of action adventure games or the further evolution of RPGs. Like Diablo could be sort of like a, a pivot point, if you will, or it doesn't have to be like it, but it could be. And I think that's probably a much more sensible way of looking at it rather than this kind of like, no, yes, <laughs> sort of like yeah. this just like knee jerk reaction. 
And I will say that I the knee-jerk reactions what are what spawn like these conversations. Like I think a very healthy creative relationship in games is always about creative tension. You're supposed yeah. to butt heads, but it's because you move forward. And yeah. Diablo 4 was definitely one of those moments for us where we absolutely butted heads with like, yes, Nicholas, no, Lauren. And then honestly, through talking to each other, the more we kept saying, no, it wasn't an RPG, the more I actually found myself going, well, actually, maybe oh, it does have a lot of those right role-playing yeah. elements to it yeah. that I wasn't quite clicking with right away because of my preconceived notions about what I loved, right? About role-playing yeah. games. Yeah. Which then, right, uh, is different than what other people might love about role-playing games, right? So I think it is interesting to consider Diablo 4 a hybrid. It's also interesting to say Diablo 4 is also this pivot point or this kind of like fulcrum of going and conversation and dialogue about what really does appeal to players about role-playing games, about these action RPGs. Yeah. And the whole ARPG kind of acronym itself feels like a dialectical concern. Like it yeah. doesn't quite hit action because I do think there's some strategy involved in Diablo 4. Like it's not yeah. just a, it's not a Tomb Raider, but it's also incredibly linear despite being very replayable. So it's yeah. no longer really procedural anymore, right? Like the maps kind of don't change in Diablo 4, at least from what I've seen. But once again, right, I haven't replayed it. So for all I know, they do actually shift around. The there the dun the dungeons are the dungeons proced do. procedurally generated. But the overworld is not. The overworld but, is yeah. fixed. And so and that difference between the overworld, right, the dungeons, that you could say correlates directly to right a world map in like Baldur's Gate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right? So, and then, or here we are in Persona 3 even, <laughs> right? So I think that's what's really interesting and why I'm really glad we got to talk about this. And we did creatively butt heads for like a week and a half yeah. because it was really interesting for us to both kind of look at it and go, okay, maybe role-playing games are changing, but like, what are they changing into and why? Yeah. And with, I think we're going to leave it there. Um, I want to thank you all for listening. Um, if you want to follow us online, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at FudidashiPod. You can follow Lauren at the Lauren Ash. She is both on Twitter and on the Instagram. We too are on the Instagram. <laughs> uh, for again, FudidashiPod. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am not on the Instagram, but you can follow me on Twitter at Academicality. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, you can follow us on, you can support us on Patreon. It helps keep the lights on, but you know, no pressure. We'll take you however you come. And with that, um, I want to say happy Pride Month and hope you all have a fantastic time. Mm -hmm.